Saturday? What day is it today? Wednesday. Exactly. Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falcons from Falcons Green, and we are joined by freelance writer and critic Virat Nehru. Hello, hello. Welcome to 2021. Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans will be joining us in a moment. We'll be talking all things Sydney Film Festival. Two films that premiered at the Sydney Film Festival's first summer season over the weekend. Another Round and Minari, both of which are getting regular releases come February. And uh, talking all things Sydney Film Festival. But first we want to talk news of the week, which is, of course, Matt Damon. Matt Damon. He's here. He's here and he's uh, allowed to not go the regular quarantine route. Look, anyone who's uh, seen films like The Martian and Stella would know that you shouldn't lock this guy, have this guy locked up on his own for too long. So this is probably a good call. <laughs> Look, I don't know. I'm not going to comment on the, you know, whether the it's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah, about you, quarantine you, you, could, rules. you could have legitimate reasons. We, yeah. we don't know. So, but the thing is, honestly, well, uh, oh, you could have reasons. The reasons that the government could have granted him an exemption. We don't know. Yeah, We're just having a. It's bit it's, of fun. it's just the optics of it would just look bad in terms of there's certain rules for some people and certain rules for the rest of us. So I think Including that's how, tennis stars. Oh God, <laughs> the Australian Open. Gosh, that has been. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I care less about tennis than anything else right now. So actually, yeah. Yeah, Virat and I, we could do a tennis show aside from fucking, but we're not doing that. We're film critics. So we're going to focus on that. Um, the actual. Well, new- Roger Federer is not even here. So what is what is even the point of tennis? So yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not competitive. It's just going to be Djokovic if he gets uh, his act together. Who knows? Anyway, <laughs> that's tennis. Let's move on. Sorry if you're. We, we build this as a sports show. It's not. Um, so the news of the week is that Moonlight Cinema is currently screening as is Westpac Open Air and Sunset Cinema North Sydney is starting, well, today. The Polish Film Festival Australia kicks off in Sydney and Melbourne from Friday night with a selection of Polish films, as does Flickrfest. The premiere will be on Friday night at the Bondi Pavilion. I will be there, which will, I will go over here. It's a lot of fun. Will Ferrell notably has a premiere of a short film he is making. Uh, he's decided, look, I want to screen at the physical festival and have a premiere there. So where else is it going to happen but Australia? I, I just hope that he's put in more effort than he put in for his Eurovision kind of shtick, which is pretty boring. I hope at least as a director of it's a short film, he's put in a bit more effort. I don't know. I I, I liked it. I just wish it had been better. I look forward to seeing this. Um, I'm actually not sure if it's in the program for Friday night, but we'll see. It's always fun under the stars. There's a party. My sister has a film in the festival too. It's a good run. It's like a festival yeah. we'll screen around the country and tour around the country yeah, in the coming months. Definitely a bit of will rather than Smith, you know, take Farrell over Smith any day. And the final news of, I like them both. I can imagine a crossover will never happen. The final news of the week is that the Australian Silent Film Festival, after many, many delays, is screening at the Mitchell Library come the 24th, so this Sunday. So the f- big news of the week, obviously, is that from a film perspective, is that the Sydney Film Festival was in full swing. A lot of the films that premiered at Sundance and else last year, which couldn't get a run in June, got a run over this weekend with five film screenings in 64 six years into the Sydney Film Festival's first summer season. It's very weird going into a session at seven o'clock and it's still being light, us not being cold and just being feeling really hot amidst the Sydney Film Festival. I know. I mean, just the fact that uh, it wasn't raining and we weren't carrying a chill or a cold 
given the usual Sydney Film Festival time. You know, not that I'd recommend if you're feeling unwell, please stay yeah, home. Please stay at home. The festival's credit, um, social social distancing and other COVID nineteen requirements are very strictly enforced. I know that a lot of venues, I'm not saying cinemas, I mean venues generally to a greater lesser extent are or aren't. Sydney Film Festival, to the great credit, um, this was actively enforced. But even though it was a summer slate, I really liked that they brought out the full Sydney Film Festival experience. They had the red carpet, which I love, you know, the state theatre. I saw your photos from the red carpet, Glenn, you look pretty dapper. We had a red carpet. We were, it, it, it was fun. It was just nice. You should to be calling it the blue carpet because I think it's a blue so carpet. So it is the blue carpet. Yeah, it's yeah. the Sydney Film Festival. <laughs> and so I wasn't there, but the Wong Kar Wai retrospective was playing at the art gallery. Yeah, that's what's where I was at. So the Wong Kar Wai retrospective, which I was been looking forward to since about a couple of years now, finally started screening this week. And yeah, had two films, his first two ones, The STS Go By and Days of Being Wild, that were, you know, re- restored from 35mm prints by Criterion, and they looked beautiful. It was so, so pristine, so good. And yeah, I mean, it was basically a bunch of film connoisseurs there, because only the hardcore Wong fans were there, everyone knew what they were getting into. But these are films I haven't seen uh, since, you know, 10 years ago. So they have very faint memories of what they look like, and they were kind of, you know, done really well. The aspect ratio was maintained beautifully, and the color schemes and everything's come out really well. So I'm looking forward to the box set eventually when it comes out. But, you know, if you do have time, please go and check it out. It's been going on until... Eighteenth of February. February. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So check that out. The City Film Festival under the State Theatre, however, has concluded. It was nice seeing the Shen again get up and talk about films and introduce them as he does so eloquently. You should have had another year. round of beers with Nishen. I would I would have loved that. Uh, yeah, I, we actually did have to go have a beer after. It, 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 it was great. That's something we'll get into much more concretely later in the program because we are talking about uh, two of the five films that screened. Uh, these were a very condensed in the film festival. I haven't seen all five of them. I've spoken to people who have and they said that they all are of great quality. Um, it's nice that we have the distinction of talking about two films we absolutely adored. I know people tune in for our sarcastic, bitter scathing yeah, cynical this, reviews this, this is, is not gonna one of those be episodes. this is going to be one of those you know film appreciation club episodes so you know strap yourselves in if you're expecting a bitch fight this is not one in no there may be minor disagreements but we loved both of these films the yeah. first of which we're talking about is minari for which we are joined by sydney filmmaker chris evans hey 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 so minari it is in cinemas in australia come the 18th of february it is from writer director lee isaac chung and starring the other Glenn, Stephen Yuen, um, like the Shen Moodley uh, who commented the other night, I actually haven't seen The Walking Dead, but I understand he plays a character called Glenn. Right. For a moment, I, I haven't seen The Walking Dead either. He was in from, Burning, is what I would yes, kind of say. Yes, he was, yeah, yeah. But um, he was most famous for his Walking Dead role before then. Really? I was, really, I was yeah. going to say the guy from Burning. I was like, I'm going to say Ben from Burning, that's about it. Yeah. Has none of us seen The Walking Dead? No. Yep, we're all that out of touch with pop culture, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. None of us have watched one of the most popular shows of the past and we are doing a film decades, podcast I, I mean so that yeah, you know yeah, if we can do it anyone can i guess you film know. reigns supreme once again that's <laughs> right at least <laughs> within this half an hour yeah, what, what, what is television um it also stars yeri han and will Patton. it is about a korean american family who moved from california to arkansas in reagan era america and also governor clinton era america, america importantly because it is set in arkansas in order to start a farm it is a Broadly speaking, a grand story with Steinbeckian aspirations, talking about American idealism and I think a changing inflection point in what is 
idealism in America. And what is, we'll get into America, it's an American dream narrative. Very well 100%. timed. And how it's changed in very recent years. I know it's set in the 80s, but it's very much a story as of now. And you know what? If not for noting that it was set in the 1980s in the film, it could have been set at virtually any time and been relevant today. Yeah, but I, I think that period setting does a good job of distancing itself from current sociopolitical problems and really honing in on the migrant narrative because, you know, that was the time when I think, you have the I first wave necessary. of migrants. Yeah. yeah, because otherwise in the current political climate, you have too many other issues which also oh, crop up. Oh, what is this film commenting on? Exactly. In, the, in this film, it actually helps it ground the film into that first wave of migrants coming in the US trying to make it into the... And, and back then, the American dream idea was also a lot stronger. So if you're going to make a film about the American dream, I think the time period yeah. of that 80s America is actually kind of salient. And we shouldn't forget as well that this is a semi-autobiographical film and the 80s situates it in the, the time when the actual filmmaker was living yeah. the experiences similar to the boy in this film. Definitely. Better 80s film than Wonder Woman 84. <laughs> he was okay. I didn't find him to be that good, the actor. He was which an I mean, emotional core of this and he hounded he, it well. He was in the writing. I just, I don't feel like his performance was as good as I'd like it to be. Yeah, it wasn't classic the child, parents, but I thought he was very good. It's the classic child actor problem. He was more, yeah, he was more kind of emo angsty than I was expecting him to be, when he didn't need to be. I think, I think His that kind of... too small. Yeah, He's that kind broody. of clash of cultures was so apparent he didn't need to play it up as much as he did. Uh, so I think, you know, it was quite natural the way the writing set it up that, you know, uh, when other characters come in that he's not very comfortable with, that that clash was going to be happening. He didn't have to play that as much as he did. I love the moment where he met the kid and his father, where the cowboy iconography comes oh, yeah, in. That was actually that was great. Really, really good. Yeah. The way that this film addresses, um, you're talking about the, the kid meeting his friends, reminds me, the way that it addresses racism, I found to be really interesting and really refreshing in that it's kind of like a subtle... It's a subtle thing that that's there. Yeah, you the harmful experiences, but it it's it's never in your face. It's, it's not, not a it's, super it, preachy tone. It's not it's at just all. A, it's just a fact, and and the the film in a lot of ways, though it's showing their difficulty, focuses more on the ways that they are accepted within the community and yeah. to try and find their place. It tells a story of what is not atypical of immigrant experience in America and other countries, where especially in rural areas, where People want and need people who are an active part of the economy and community. And we see them, for the most part, welcomed. Some, if some are identify them purely by their cultural heritage or single that out. Others are, let's be friends, let's be a part of this. And that is a very true-to-life experience for a lot, a lot of people, including my family, who moved to America a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like the film in the sense that it, there's no broad brushing here. You know, there, there are genuine experiences that you might have. There are people who are not so nice and there are people who are nice you know as you might meet you know yeah. it's not it's not like devil all the time everyone's not a dickhead That's you know true. which is which is what the template we've been seeing for some films quite recently you know where they've been recurring that everyone is either very good or very bad and, and if like, the, you know, the film were set today going back to uh, the point you made <laughs> earlier then I feel like there'd be pre very strong pressure on the filmmakers to make everyone clearly delineated as good or bad. But also I feel like, you know, the, we can't really blame the current crop filmmakers for doing that because I feel that's just a product of the time. It's I think currently how... making that kind of film, everyone is so uh, partisan in terms of everything is partisan in well, that sense, you know, so it becomes much more difficult to make a nuanced film. Well, there's been a lot of talk about this with regard to comedy, but it's interesting... Um, thinking about the hypothetical of this film being made today, you know, being set today, that 
maybe this social climate is just antithetical to good art in a lot of ways. But anyway, I don't want to get us too sidetracked. No. Now, yeah. yeah. Um, returning to uh, my favorite aspect of this, the macro themes which this film pursues, we talk about the American dream and our modern conception of what we've seen of cinema in the past, I'd say 50, 55 years is the ideal that the American dream is reaching beyond your means and doing better. This wasn't always the case. I referenced Steinbeck earlier. You go back to Grapes of Wrath, East of Eden, which this draws a lot from. And then the American dream was itself just... itself initially as East of Eden homage, really. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. My, fa my favorite American novel. What I do believe is the great American novel. And it, that then the American dream was simply about subsisting this film deals with the conflicts a lot of families then today still experience with that dynamic what are we actually pursuing and sadly we're seeing this time from my point of view in america where there's an economic there is a social downturn and people are shifting from do we is is our idealism idealistic outlook pursuing things greater than our means what we've already achieved or just subsisting and i think sadly and very poignantly and very well, this film reflects that very current shift in what America and a lot of places around the world are experiencing. And also just a very, I think, obvious, but also kind of nuanced tension around uh, the choices you have to make when you are trying to subsist or, you know, economic challenges versus the strain that puts on a family. And I, th I think uh, from my migrant experience as well, I think given you coming from certain backgrounds, the idea of family is so strongly rooted in your upbringing, I think getting that reshaped by economic pursuit is actually confronting. Suddenly you have to uh, realize that, you know, you may all not live together. And that is, for me, that was life-changing, that I will not be living in a joint family. I never had imagined that that's the case that I'd have to confront one day. But it's just an economic reality that you have to you know, accept. So I think this film addresses that how families have, you know, come apart or have to stay apart and then come together and then there is a distance because you basically uh, haven't been exposed to the same culture because uh, of certain challenges beautifully in that sense. It's quite natural how the film does it. It doesn't force itself, force its hand. Well, the grandma is, I think, really the, the way that a lot of these themes come out and that the, the kids and specifically the son has to come to grips with someone who's 100% um, Korean in her culture. She's just freshly arrived in the United States and she hasn't been influenced like uh, she was wonderful. Have. Yeah. And, and so he, he butts heads against her, but gradually comes to accept um, the traditional mindset more. Something I really liked about this, and again, I referenced John Steinbeck and all these novels, Canary Row, every single one of them, he managed to tell these grand archetypal very symbolic, very, very intrinsic stories that the Western world knows intrinsically going back to the Bible or else, but also have a very rough, raw narrative, which is day to day, everyone can relate to. This film knocks it out of the park. You see a narrative which is could happen in the course of any um, person's normal day, but also which speaks to these grand ambitions uh, thematically. Having said that, um, my one bugbear with the film, it's a thing for me that I find more recently very predominant in cinema more recently predominant in cinema is a metaphor at the center of the film and in the title <laughs> it was a little overplayed it didn't bother me the rest of the film i think was operating a much more nuanced level the title minari was not it's a little broad yeah yeah it is uh, but also it was kind of cute i mean it's it, cute, it, it, yeah it's it was also... it was not it was in your face but it was the kind of cute thing that you knew was coming going to come back in more significant ways but at least it wasn't pretentious i think the climate for art 
and the climate in general right now is one where everyone wants to know what something means. Yeah, every, everything, is a, like, everything is a parable for something yeah, else. Yeah, people you know? don't like ambiguities, yeah. so we've got to, you've got to spell it out. It's in the title. The title, this is what the movie's about, what the, you know, and what that's about is contained within the script. I mean, it's, You just have to watch it, and it's, it's all decoded, folks. It's a very it's A24 film. I know, it's obvious. It's a very A24 film, right? It's I, a very A24 film thing to do. I mean, <laughs> credit the A24, it is an A24 production. Yeah, <laughs> very much so. the film does a lot of things really right. Um, I, I thought the family dynamics felt real. Um, I feel like the, the, the depiction of everyone was basically non-condescending. Um, it felt authentic and honest. But yeah. th- there's still something a little bit neat about the film to me. Yeah, it's it's, like it's very polished. Bit, it's, it's, it's it's very mechanical. That's the, the it. Screenplays to me, it feels like you a know, little bit too much uh, a conventional film to feel really, really lived in. And yeah. it, to me, a lot of the beats and the the overall feeling um, felt familiar from other coming of age films. Um, some some American and some some Asian actually. I know what you mean, but at the same time, uh, I'm I used to be very kind of you know nitpicky, where I'm like, oh, this feels too neat. But there's also something beautiful about a film. Oh, don't get me wrong. That's trying to be, you know, that's that is polished in a, in a good way. Well, I feel that very strongly about the the next film we're about to talk about. But in the case of Minari, um, I, I feel like it just needed at points a little bit more life and messiness on the edges of it. I would be fine with a few scenes of them just struggling to cook something, or right. um, I, there's a scene at the very beginning where they have a trouble getting into what is an elevated house because there's no steps and just things like overcoming little challenges like that. I would like, I want to know how they did that. Sure. Mm. They just built some steps. Fine. But those things I want to see. I also felt like visually it was polished and pretty, but a little bit flat. Like when you, you talking about the, you know, a child trying to get back up there made me think about how this film misses a lot of shots for beautiful child's eye view perspectives. And yeah, say, like a child looking at an adult's world yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you could say that's outside of the director's vision, but he uses it at a few points that just make me wonder why is it being shot in such a flat way in a lot of the rest of the I mean, I mean, I mean, glad that you brought up that children's perspective because off air I was just comparing this film to Coriolis Shoplifters and that we, uses we discussing that, yeah. uh, children really well. I think this film could have benefited from a child's perspective. I, I think that that film got... To have that kind of... Uh, you know. Yeah, I think of the kids and of everyone, really, it, that film got a little bit closer into the little details. And, yeah. into, and the camera work as well, rather than being these sort of broad shots, it was getting up close so you could register some of the specifics. And the scenes breathe a lot more in that film. I know Glenn disagrees. He considers Minari to be a better film than Shoplifters, which he's wrong about, <laughs> but it's okay. Glenn's That's happy to defend... The animosity <laughs> into the show. Glenn's happy to defend that just opinion. dragging it in. Just, just, let's, like, we have to fight about something. We've, no, <laughs> the Fight Club. The, the Shoplifters yeah. was... And is an amazing film. Um, I do. It, it's a little bit of apples and oranges. Um, I do prefer this for the narrative and the oranges. Manic, <laughs> yeah, definitely ambition. a lot of oranges in that movie. Yep. Yeah, just, there was a very <laughs> specific analogy general there. Um, and it may be for me. There's very few films that are so ambitious in their scope as to looking to show this is a turning point in how we see ourselves as a country. This does that, and it nails that. I think that's something that I wish more films would pursue. And I know the even the few that do really do so well. Mm. If this is a point um, for why you prefer Minari over shoplifters, I think this is going to come down to an apples and oranges thing about personal life experiences and interests. Though, oh, because I know, yeah. you know you're very um, interested in and knowledgeable about American history and American narratives, whereas I know shoplifters is meant to speak to a lot of 
um, concerns about contemporary Japan and how Japanese people are feeling about disintegrating um, and, family dynamics. So it's very fair. Most of my family are American. I've lived there. I've never been to Japan. Though yeah. I do have an interest in the country, I can't but, say I have the experience they do with America. But also yeah. there are some interesting and very cute little neat parallels between Shoplifters and Minari, which I was just reflecting upon. For example, Grandmothers. Both films have very specific grandmothers who are part of the family and yet they're quote, not. Quote, they, grandmothers. But yeah, yes. exactly. You know, they're, they're, they're part of the family yet they're not. They have to prove that they're part of the family. Yeah, I love that in Shoplifters. So in, in that sense. And yeah. both films use children very interestingly. And this, I, you know, so I, I, I thought of a film watching this, um, which I'll use this opportunity to rep on the radio. Um, I saw it. I, I was going to say last year, but I, it's 2019. I love how right? you said radio. Until it's Australia Day, you can still say last year. Right. Um, but <laughs> yeah, it's. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's called My Summer at Grandpa's. Yes, yeah, I, a, know, I know exactly the yeah, one you mean. Yeah, it's a, yep. a Hu Xiaoxian yep. film from Taiwan, and uh, it, it has the, these very sort of rough... Um, edged grandparents who the the children are a little bit indeed to and a little bit afraid of and a lot of these um, slice of life um, moments that leave an impression on kids within a rural context and I, I would recommend uh, that to people who enjoyed this and I think there might have been a little bit of inspiration um, as well yeah. yeah which is which is great I mean any wishes and inspiration is you know welcome so that is Minari. That is Minari, yeah. indeed. Um, it comes out on the 18th of February. I say go see it. Yeah, I recommend it. Oh, yeah, yeah, it. totally, Definitely. totally. I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah. Our, our nitpicks were kind of, you know, afterthoughts. We were trying to be nitpicky. It's actually yeah, I, a beautiful I, film. I, I was just explaining why I don't love it, but I definitely yeah. like and would recommend it. It's oh, yeah, very totally. strong. For, for what it's worth, I mean, the Film Festival usually have 300 films. They had to show five, and they showed five they loved. Yeah. And they picked yeah. well. And you're listening to Glenn Falcon, Sun, Chris Evans, and Rat Nehru on Film Fight Club. The next film we're talking about is Another Round, or Druk, mm. um, which is a, what, Gumbay, Cheers. The, I, I don't speak Danish, but I, my, I understood that the it's a transliteration. Drinking war cry. Yeah, it's a drinking war cry. It doesn't quite translate into how we might immediately perceive the title. Again. Yeah. Again. One more. One more. Uh, another, go. another, with a fist slammed on the table. <laughs> more, <laughs> more ale. Yeah, that's what the title translates as, but you yeah. can't put that in w- words so well. Yeah, but the spirit, <laughs> we spirit of the title is actually very much in the film. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So another round comes yeah, out. Actually, yeah, that's, February, that's exactly the voice you need. <laughs> comes out on February 11th. It is the new Thomas Vinterberg film, and it is starring Mads Mikkelsen, notably uh, Vinterberg's previous films, Far From the Manning Crowd and Curse, and both. Hunt. And The Hunt. Um, well, those two premiered at Sydney Film Festival. I don't know if The Hunt did. I yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but um, at least of the last three Sydney Film Festival premieres, this is by far his best one. It oh, is... yeah, the Far From the Manning Crowd was so horrible. So, so horrible. This is just a... about nothing. This is a return to form yeah. film for him. Absolutely. I think. And it is about, again, starring Matt Simpkinson, about a group of 40 or 40-odd-year-old friends in Copenhagen who are teachers or otherwise and work and have families and decide to experiment that whether their lives will be improved if they have a consistent low level of alcohol in their blood. Importantly, the film, in its exploration of this practice, draws a distinction between alcoholism on one hand, and on the other hand, persons who have an either healthy or unhealthy relationship with alcohol. Um, Ruben Guthrie was something that opened this in the film festival a few years ago, a film that very bluntly tried to address these issues and didn't do so very well. Conversely, this does. I think it does because it feels real. It feels lived in, both in the performances of the intoxication and in the points it makes about the way that 
alcoholism or any any kind of hedonism really because I, th- I think this film speaks to broader themes than just alcohol um yeah i mean it's, how it's, much of a good thing is a good thing exactly about hedonism and trying to fill the void and i think it um it feels honest and real about midlife crisis um, type experiences um and about you know i, I think it shows the the ways that people become addicted it's it's yeah. not it's not explicitly about addiction, although it til- it very heavily implies things that for way. For one yeah. character, it is. For the other, I would argue there's more of a. It's too I, I, much of a good thing. Although, a but also, thing. I, think uh, all, I think there's also a question of justifications. Yeah, like, I mean, about they're, they're all looking they're, for some kind of escape. Right. Like, think about the, the, a few things. I remember we, we had this discussion yesterday when we came out of the film, but I would argue that um, the film's smart enough to be showing how this this can lead to or maybe already is um building to addiction because um okay, we yeah. see we see at times when the characters are saying i'm out i'm out i'm, I'm done with this and then you yeah. know the, the temptation to get it's right an, back it's in an, is too a, strong it's a hit that's kind the, of a thing yeah exactly that's that's the point where i think the the question of uh, i'm doing this by my choice starts to yeah. um you know you start to question that and wonder what, how much of the justifications that, are, that yeah. these characters... I mean, let's not forget that this the endeavor begins with this justification of we're going to write a report about this, but yeah. and they, how and serious they were they? Trick and our rules. lives are unfulfilled. This is our yeah. act. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think it's people throw themselves into um, crazy, impulsive, sometimes self-destructive things when they have holes in their lives. And I, th- I think what the, the film actually got right and I think was an interesting but important point to make because a lot of these films that explore addiction of any kind become very preachy. But I think what the film really showed was that actually uh, the reason you get hooked, hooked in is because you do actually, it does improve your life that's right. to some extent. Exactly. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I know that, that, that's controversial to, to say, but, you know, when they do it, start doing it, it does categorically improve their, you know, out, out, you know yeah. output yeah. and focus in life yeah. and what they do. What this does, and I don't think I've ever seen any film do, which is like a reference to alcohol, alcohol consumption, is that it both talks about the, as Chris said, the self-destructive aspects of it, but also simultaneously glamorizes the romantic aspects of it and you know yeah. what i've had some really drunk nights i've also had some really fun nights just having a few beers like i did with chris last night like we the three of us have had on many many nights and yeah. i'll continue to do so um and i know a lot of films which pursue this narrative are have a great time crash and it's the worst and now i decide to leave a sober life this is this not is, that this is much smarter about it yeah and it, it chooses not to be preachy and yeah. it's unafraid of um showing um consequences it's also unafraid as you were just saying of showing alcohol in a in a positive light but um when it shows the consequences it's measured enough that it, it never feels like as like you said that yeah, sudden turnaround swing into you know message making oh but don't forget it's actually bad you know yeah it, but, but also trigger responsibly yeah but, but also it, it's not something that you know often there is this montage sequence in films when they try to show someone trying to recover from addiction that, you know, through one montage, they suddenly now are okay and they're all sober. Mm. But, you know, this film was very keen to address the fact that, you know, once you go down that track, you you never really yeah, the, recover. I mean, the, you know, it's... There's, you know, there's always, you have there's to always live the risk. With. But the ambiguity here, and we're not going to ruin the ending. The ending yeah. is the best scene in the film. Um, it absolutely nails it. And it, it covers that gamut of both, yes, these are these terrible things that can happen. And it doesn't... 
um, shy away from that. But also, there are these scenes that I would love to have been a part of. I would love to have been present, even if I'm having a beer. I don't have a beer in my hand. This is something that, yes, some of the fallout from this is bad and it has to be measured. But other things, yes, um, there can be good nights with alcohol. This is the sort of film that I, I, don't, I, I wonder how much traction it will get in Australia. I don't know how much. It is a foreign language film, so it is less, less successful for many. But this I wish there was a sort of film in Australia exploring... Uh, this is a very Danish film. Mm. We, I would love a, a really intelligent film exploring Australia's relationship with alcohol, which is uh, very distinct from the Danish experience and other countries' experiences. Wake and Fright. No, no. Actually, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah Wake and Fright's the standing. No. Uh, but but uh, it's interesting you brought the comparison because I feel like drinking culture in Australia is very prominent. And this, this, this yeah. is, yeah. But the, if the, anything, the with Australia Day coming up. Extremely prominent. Yeah, Australia Day coming up. I'm, I mean, you know, this sort of film would do really well for an Australian <laughs> market. It's, it's, if anything, it's catered to you know a lot of you know blokes RSL culture if anything else but it's interesting watching this film as an Australian because you think how crazy is the Danish drinking culture compared to ours or is it roughly equivalent it's quite equivalent I would feel like we um, we think we're scandalized I mean when you look at that but when you look at our own exploring our own backyard hmm. from the kind of barbecues that I've been at yeah. someone is kind of, kind of you know literally piss drunk and you know shitting themselves so this is you know not that so with <laughs> those graphic images <laughs> out of the way. Yes, uh, we want to talk about some of the uh, other ex- aspects of this film. Um, the other dimension of this is that at its very most basic level, it's an inspiring teacher movie. We don't yeah. see many of those, and this does it to great effect. More importantly, we talked about Soul a couple of weeks ago, and there are so many films. I did like Soul, but that, that teach, to have the teach narrative of, oh, um, you're a teacher and therefore you have to aspire beyond that. This doesn't show that. It shows people who are unhappy in their lives for different reasons, not because of their careers. They find fulfillment not beyond, but they all seek not fulfillment not beyond, but within their careers. This is a beautiful thing. Being a teacher is an amazing thing. And I think this is a film that teachers will adore. Uh, the first in a number of years that teachers can really get behind and say, yes, a whiplash style Goodbye, Mr. Chips type. It's a much, this is great. It's a much more inspiring film, I think, for the, the regular school teacher than Whiplash. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it, it presents the occupation in a celebratory and non-condescending way. Uh, I mean, and, I mean, that's definitely a very Danish thing, right? I mean, yeah. Australian teachers aren't treated nearly as nicely. So, I mean, you know. They... <laughs> Can I also say that I really appreciated that here's a film that strongly focuses on characters in their jobs something that is part of almost everyone's daily life, but most films for some reason avoid. So that is another round. We'll keep talking about it on the podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. I'm um, going to Flickerfest this weekend. Um, that was the Sydney Film Festival. We're looking forward to seeing you again in June. Uh, this has been Glenn Falcons and Chris Evans right there on Film Fight Club. Stay tuned for The Sonic Assassin. Um, have a wonderful night. Enjoy movies. Be safe and good night. Bye. Bye. And welcome back to Film Fight Club, where we're talking all things another round there it's just great to talk about two really good films yeah that's that's right thanks thanks to the sydney film festival for, for yeah. bringing some good films at the state theater i mean yeah, i actually, tried nice. to bring in some kind of fake animosity in but he yeah, completely failed but yeah these are two nice films actually yeah, yeah but, we, we can we can talk about the real nuance of who was the most engaging character and <laughs> um, actually just but speaking of how engaging the actors were mads because he can do so much with just the glance and he yeah. shows... He's very moving here. I was so, very interested because I think he played against type. I was trying to convince Glenn that Mad Mickelson here was playing against type. He's not uh, the one in control. Mm. He's not... Yes, he's played subtle roles before, but he's always had that screen presence where he's commanding. Here, he's... T- 
actually he's expected been, to be quite yeah, timid. It's, it's weird him seeing anything. him not play a self-confident character. There's a guy who played a Bond villain. He seems um, um, defeated by life in yeah, this, yeah. In this he role. He was Hannibal, for God's sake. I know. Someone and it's very hard to extremely extremely picture him to be defeated. But this film actually does a splendid job of and vulnerable. just making him small. <laughs> the, the thing I really didn't expect going in is how touching I found this film. Like, I, mm-hmm. I've, it, in confronting the anxieties about middle age full on and, and the attempt to hold on to that youthful vitality. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I, I, it felt real. The moment you saw the four friends honest. sitting around for the 40, you just could relate. Like, okay, these guys have been friends for 30, 40 years. Mm. You got it. You, you got the dynamic between them. I love the old little moments where even if at the expense of other relationships or potentially their job, they're just actively supporting each other and trying to That's make right. sure that they're okay. It's a very good film about male friendship. Yes. And, and, and one that's a kind film about male friendship. That's right. Actually, so actually, rare, actually you know? this is this is a very, very good point. I think male bonding has been so uh, villainized on screen mm. that any kind of male bonding is either conquest or usually, you know, through this kind of quips young woman or, or banter. About, no, uh, no, but just generally, yeah, I feel like this oh, is... But that existed there too. They were talking about, oh, you dated this hot girl then or my wife's a super babe or... Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Right. But it's still there. But it also... uses that language, but there but, is genuine concern of men being in touch with their emotions. I think this is the sort of difference here. Men are not afraid to be vulnerable to each other, which we don't see on screen. In fact, mm. in real life, uh, you know, we've often been vulnerable with not just with each other, but also with our other friends. That's an aspect of male friendship that never gets explored because well, the, we these, live in that stereotype that men don't show emotion, but that's not true the, at all. The conception of masculinity in this film was so evolved, you know, it was so enlightened <laughs> with it, without going out of it. It yeah. wasn't trying to preach. It yeah. just showed a bunch of nice people, essentially, and, and make mistakes, but try to support And it's still like they were, you know, the language was still very blokey. So it wasn't, you know, suddenly yeah. that, you know, these men were speaking in, you know, this kind of very evolved uh, metrosexual kind of way. They were still being blokes. And s- so without sure. it, and still emotional. So it's a nice balance. And, and it's just nice. And speaking of the blokey aspects of this, but also the inspiring teacher aspects. And the other thing we haven't got to, which is the humor, there's a recurring great bit with one of the... Um, main characters and a student who's very nervous about the exams. Oh, man. <laughs> it's so great. Um, I had teachers, well, I had, none of the teachers do this for me in high school, but I did have great teachers in high school. It reminds me of, yeah, these are the sort of folks who put themselves out there, put themselves in line a little and say, no, we've got your back. And this you, film you, felt, can, you can okay, do this. Yeah. No, it no, felt no. very lived in. It yeah. felt yeah. like it had come from, a, you know, a, an accumulation of a lot of real experiences. Actually, and I, thank you for bringing up the teacher aspect. It reminded me because I remember I spent most of my high school in English teachers' class, staff rooms because I didn't have any real friends from my age. So my friends have always been English teachers, and I remember them going out of their way to give me time, be like, oh, you know, how's your life? How are you doing? Everything okay? You know, and I didn't have anybody to go in recess or lunch. And I could see they wanted to take the time and just tell me to please, please go away. I need to have do my own work and I don't have time for you. But they were too nice to be like, oh, it's all right. You know, he's a lonely kid who wants to like chat. This makes me seem more sad. In, in, in retrospect, hindsight, I quite enjoy it. We believe you do, right? <laughs> but but there, there is there's something so beautiful about watching teachers who affirm that children and students can do good things and be great. And what's great about this, it's not just um, facile, it's not just um, lip service. It comes to the point of the film where they themselves experience self-affirmation to the degree that they can themselves affirm the value of others. So there's the development of themselves and they look not just to be, oh, I can improve myself, but they look to help those others around them. Just as an inspiring teaching movie, this is traveling ground that 
very few do. I, I think actually, yeah, and this is this is a very very good point because you know for,、uh, when you look about it, there's a lot of movies about teachers inspiring students, and that's great. But you never look at the converse side of it about how doing all that emotional lifting for their students takes so much out of them, you know, and they need a bit of lift up as well because、okay. and who's helping them out?、It's、and、so、there's no, no support system there. It's so smart making them teachers.、Mm. Yeah. It it is yeah, and、um, you know, and it's also very lived in, like Chris said, because the Danish education system does value their teachers quite a lot. So there is that kind of you know, um, you know,、uh, subtly there as well. Not saying that you know our education system doesn't, but I am, yeah.、Hmm. Um, I really liked the way it was shot. It's simple documentary kind of style, but at the at the beginning, as、uh, Mads goes down the rabbit hole. Um, yeah, the humor I, comes from、uh, actually the way it's、uh, really framed. Actually, that's right. Yeah, yeah, there's there's a lot of big extreme close-ups of drunken faces in this film. <laughs>、yeah. um, oh, the disorientation of the camera when it comes、yeah. that is so good. There's also、um, specifically in in that scene I was talking about. I appreciate it as he looks up and the way that certain things are put left out of focus and these there's、mm-hmm. these subtle focus pulls. I thought they've actually nailed the visual sensations. Of getting drunk.、Yeah. Speaking of the child's perspective,、um, I think this film did it better than Minari. There's a key character in this,、um, taking a key from Tropical Fishes again, who is a child. A lot of parts of the scene, to great, to crucially, are shot from their perspective, which is some True, of the funniest、yeah. scenes. And、yeah. at one point, one of the more heartwarming scenes. Two points, some of the more heartwarming scenes in the movie. Yeah, I think I think、yeah. we haven't discussed、uh, that this is actually a funny film. It's very funny. I, I think, given that how heavy we've、yeah. gone into,、so、like you、awkward. know, this is about yeah, this yeah. is a film that is discussing、uh, these heavy themes about you know what is midlife crises and、yeah. alcohol and everything else. When they're wandering through and just so out of it, when they've hit this、yeah. like ridiculous blood alcohol. This、level. is a hilarious、right. film. This、Another、is actually an example of the way it's shot, adding to the comedy that scene. You know, because this film knows when to get up up close with the.、Um, Massive hungover faces, and went to observe、yeah. the the chaos from a distance. It's it's, it it's, it's a, the visual <laughs> play. Adds, the visual play adds to the humor, and actually a lot of the humor comes out of the camera play rather than the actual performances. The performances well, it's, are it's all of them quite consistent. Uh, yeah. yeah, but they're not expected to ham it up for for humor or comedy purposes.、Mm. But、uh, you know, it's the camera play that really allows them to you know、uh, play little neat tricks. In that way, so yeah, in this way, the film is neat. I, I get what you mean. There are, though, we were talking about it being funny, and it is very funny. There are a few tonal shifts, which talking to people after the film seem to be the big、um, problem a lot of、uh, people had. Oh yeah,、uh, because one film needs to be just one thing until the well, way through. Like, oh my I, god, I can、it's... appreciate people feeling jarred by the, the sudden tonal shifts、um, in in film in general. In this, I. Um, they didn't bother me personally, but I、mm-hmm. did feel them happening. I f- felt like there's a moment when this feels like、um, in classic rom-com setup when you suddenly shift from everything's a fun time to oh, it's the complications part of the film. However, the complications part of、uh, conventional rom-coms are usually terrible, which adds insult to the injury of the laughs going away. And at least here, it remains well written and, and engaging and felt real.、Um, yeah. I think more importantly. Narratively, when those shifts happened from a dramatic perspective, it made sense because we can see the characters' motivations coming to that point. But <clears throat> more importantly, and I'm not going to ruin the ending of the storyline for one character, but crucially, a lot of 
for one character, there's a last minute bit of an upbeat, oh, things are going to be okay. And this could be read as a, oh, it has to have a happy ending. But no, again, this is written into the characters. It's written into how the drama unfolds and it makes sense in the context of the story. So well done. For me, the um, the sudden tonal shifts also make sense just within the context of the narrative, because I think for people um, who are indulging in dangerous behaviors, so, um, a lot of the time, reality comes calling in, you know, with... Uh, very abruptly. Uh, very abruptly, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I didn't... In fact, I think the tonal shifts were... Uh, uh, I wouldn't say they were expected, but they almost added a bit of, you know, drama to the film that was needed and actually lifted the narrative, which was going into a bit of a expected kind of, you know, uh, rut almost. You know, you were expecting, oh, this has now become this one thing, but actually the film was deeper than that. So the tonal shift helped to actually enunciate and underline those uh, key messages about, you know, this film is not just about, if you thought this was just one thing, it's not. It's also about these other things in case you've forgotten. Yeah. So I think in that sense, the tonal shifts were kind of necessary. Absolutely. You know what? It actually made sense because if you're in a bender and you're only focused on yourself and suddenly you come out of it and you realize everyone around you is like, no, this is destructive. Yeah, what do you think is going to happen? And that could be a shock to big, some people. The and if the film plays out that versus way, versus the Sunday morning, yeah. you know, there there is a bit of a, a tonal shift within the, your own yeah. life, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the bender versus the hangover the next morning. Yeah, yeah. There, I actually wish the film had gone to. I think Chris, you made the point. I wish the film had gone to a little more detail about hangovers. Yeah, that's that's the one thing they're mostly addressing. Um, sorry, avoiding addressing. Partly because their aim is to always be drunk, to to never have that coming back down point. But surely there's, there's been a few more awful hangovers, right? Because these guys are in their 50s, I would say, or 40s, or 40s. late 40s. No, they have, it was the 40th birthday at uh, the beginning. okay. So they're, they're 40, they would... Sure. Yeah, like you're... I, I inserted I mean, Max Mickelson's age and the, the age of the oldest looking guy yeah. to, to say... Oh, the actors are a bit older then. Yeah. yeah. But also, I, I, they, I, they look like 50. Yeah. I'd love to have their tolerance level for alcohol at, at like 40, to be honest. I, I don't think I will. I'd love to have their tolerance level for alcohol now. <laughs> Actually, no, no. I I think Nordic countries generally just uh, have more tolerance for alcohol. Uh, this is a huge generalization, by the way. Yeah. So uh, an another round. We're, we're just going to drink now. We're just yeah, commenting. But that was Druk. That was the. <laughs> we'll yeah. go for a drink. Yeah. So join us at the nearest pub. Yeah, actually, we'll be there in spirit with you. <laughs> yeah. After we recorded this two days earlier, annoying actually, you about film. What's the point? Like Chris and I, was, we went out to the film, and like I said earlier, we went for a drink. This isn't a film that makes you think, "Oh, I don't ever want to drink again." It's like That's right. It was. We had two drinks. We had two beers after this, yeah. and it was like, "Yeah, it was nice." Went home. But, the, but then we went home. And we had two more drinks, and then we checked the clock. We did check our blood Chris. alcohol <laughs> level two hours later. <laughs> We yeah, two more drinks, yeah, so we kept up that point zero zero five beautifully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but also actually on 0. that, 0. something I truly appreciated. They were engaging in what most people would be consider unhealthy consumption of alcohol, but they were being responsible. They weren't driving. Right. They weren't operating heavy machinery. I'm someone who's never drunk and driven in my life. So watching them, I appreciated this. Set a good example. If you're going to do this. Do it. Just know that it can have destructive impacts on others and be aware of that and don't put yourself or others in danger. Uh, for the most part, these guys, at least from a legal <laughs> perspective, were very aware of this. Yeah. 
Yeah, but at the same time, I, I wouldn't say that their behavior did, wasn't destructive in other ways. So this, uh, is, this is a more they, they narrowly, I think, avoided arrest a few times, yeah. right? Yeah, they, 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 they did cause a minor property damage. This, this, yeah. this and you should not go fishing when drunk, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. This is a much more nuanced film about drinking culture. I think it's, it's not, it doesn't give you a neat answer about when you should stop drinking. But it does tell you that if you drink to have a good time, you should have another round. Yeah, films don't need to give neat answers to things. Well, yeah, I appreciated that both of these films were a a little bit more open to interpretation and meaning than a lot of what we've been watching recently. So that is another round. It is in cinemas on February 11th. Minari is in cinemas from February 18th. The Sydney Film Festival is secluded. The Flickr Fest is happening this weekend. The Wong Kai Rai retrospective continues. Continues, so yes. Sydney Film Festival festivities somewhat uh, ongoing. You will find Farad there. He will be there. Uh, yeah, I was there last weekend at the Art Gallery. I'll be there now in Dendi, so I'm switching up locations. But if you know, you know where to find me, call me, beat yeah. me if you, if you ever need but, me. But, but, find but, him at the bar across the road from Dendi. Yeah. <laughs> was it the bank? Crying in, in front of the neon. slow <laughs> <laughs> motion. God. It's too much. So you can't smoke in here. Gosh. I could, I can almost visualize myself doing that. This is too real. Okay. Back to my midlife crisis. Another round, please. Yeah. How long till there's a remake of this movie? Um, you're right, actually. I could totally see Zach Galifianakis. Yeah. No, that would yeah, be not horrible. As the lead. That he's, would be he's horrible. Be, he's going to be the dad with the kids. I'd give you four to one odds on that. Yeah. <laughs> but do we need one? Like, it's oh no, no, we no, don't. no, we're not. In, we're not endorsing. We're not saying this just like we don't happen, endorse we're it, the it will happen. Yeah. Well, just as the film doesn't so Matt, endorse the actions of these Matt, behavior, <laughs> you know, these men, but they are inevitable. We are not endorsing. Uh, who else is going to be in it? Will Zach? Ferrell. Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell. Yeah. Um, we're looking at maybe Jason Sudeikis. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jason yeah. Sudeikis actually okay. Jason because, because this this film needs uh, <laughs> Wait, but who's the last comedic one? comedic actors no, yeah. who have dramatic chops and Jason Sudeikis is probably the only one who can pull that off. And it's going to be what's the name? Horrible bosses, always sunny. J- oh, um, Ed Helms. Charlie. No, Charlie. Day. Charlie. Yeah. Charlie. Charlie. Day. Charlie, Charlie if, Day. if there's a film with Charlie Day, yeah. Sudeikis, you're Will just Ferrell describing the Hangover yeah. with Will Ferrell essentially. Imagine um, how broy the trailers for the American remake of this would be. Oh, we want, we want, we want royalties, guys. Like they would be one hundred percent selling this to the frat pat audience, right? But yeah. th- that's exactly the wrong takeaway from this film. This I know, not, but anyway, you know, this is the world we live in for us. Oh God! But no, okay. Everything but Charlie Day and Will Ferrell. Um, okay, Jason's Day. I like Charlie I, Day. I can, I can, I can, I can. Yeah. I don't mind Charlie. Uh, if you want to see Will Ferrell film go to Flickfest this weekend, as noted. Uh, Maybe Jamie Foxx, if you're talking horrible bosses, maybe he he's, he can do. So we need no, he's comedic, comedic actors. Jamie Foxx in this would be funny, though. Yeah, yeah. Actually. Comedic actors with dramatic chops. That's what we yeah. need. Well, when That's I say he's too good for this, I mean too good for the American version, the eventual right. American version. Yeah, uh, it'd be funny if Matt Mickelson has to play in, he wouldn't in, in do the it. remake. He, he would well. not. He, he wouldn't never. do it. Yeah. yeah. No, he's, he, he, but it would he, be he, funny. It would. I like that he does his mix of um, big budget films and a lot of American features, but does his the Danish Actually, film industry. Uh, a lot of, like, Pillow Aspect, Nikolai Costa-Walter, they all go back. Half the films they do yeah. are Danish, and they're great, and they don't get nearly enough traction here. You know, actually, okay, if, if anybody's going to remake this, uh, I'd give Edgar Wright the full... Uh... That would be completely different. I know, but but <laughs> it, it would have the camera... Uh... It went trickery that was required well, that to make was, it. He's already it, done it. It's basically, called a world, the world's end. World, yeah, I know. World's it does, end, yeah, yeah. We've watched that a few just, months ago. I don't just know have, why. Just have Simon Pegg and Nick Frost doing Simon Pegg Nick Frost things. He's got his new film coming out last night in Soho. I want to see that. Oh. Yeah, it's a, Edgar Wright's new film is apparently a horror. 
Wow. And right. the horror inspired by 70s British horror. Wow. Uh, like when Don't Look is Now. It, when is it coming? Well, we don't who know. knows? But it was meant uh, to be at yeah. Cannes or Venice, but I don't know. Yeah, speaking yeah. of which, there's a lot of films that No Time to Die rumors that it'll be delayed again. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of stuff's being pushed back. Yeah. yeah, but no, I think I think a lot of the stuff that was at TIFF is now getting a release. Uh, Pieces of a Woman is so out Netflix. on Netflix, yeah. which is actually great. We'll talk about it hopefully in a future episode. Maybe we can do yeah. that in The White Tiger. Yes, yeah. Netflix and special? Netflix yeah. special, yeah. Special. Yeah, right. not too bad. Well, tune in next week. Stay safe. Be rocking. And have another round of beers on us. <laughs> not, not on us, just we, we can't afford oh, okay. to give all we, the audience yeah, a... We, 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 we uh, but, but, but you should still have another round. Not well, like multiple, many, all the rounds, but another just, round. Just one, 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 you know. Another round of responsible round of drinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't, don't drive, just have yeah. a round. You know. Yeah. Enjoy. Yeah. Try some craft beers. There's good breweries around here. Yeah, cool. Good night.